When will the wedding take place? In your mind? As soon as decency permits. After we've allowed Tommen the appropriate time to mourn his brother. And Marjorie to mourn her husband. A fortnight? That seems reasonable. No jugglers, no jousting dwarfs, no 77 course meals. And your wedding to Loras? Shortly after Thomas. Shortly? A fortnight. I know you don't like them. I didn't like your husband. He used to pat me on the back a lot. I didn't trust him. We had that in common. You don't need to make formal alliances with people you trust. Then whom can we trust? Ourselves alone. Tyrells are our only true rivals in terms of resources, and we need them on our side. Robert wasn't particularly rich. Robert had me funding him. Wars swallow gold like a pit in the earth. I suppose that explains why we did so well in the last one. Do you know how much gold was mined in the Westerlands this past year? I haven't a clue. Go on, your best guess. Pounds, tons, ounces? Doesn't matter, the answer's the same. It can't be. Our last working mine ran dry three years ago. Then how do we pay for anything? The Crown owes the Iron Bank of Brothers a tremendous amount of money. How much? A tremendous amount. There must be someone at the Iron Bank you can speak to, come to some arrangement. The Iron Bank is the Iron Bank. There is no someone. But someone does work there. It is comprised of people. And a temple is comprised of stones. One stone crumbles and another takes its place. And the temple holds its form for a thousand years or more. Now that's what the Iron Bank is, a temple. We all live in its shadow, and almost none of us know it. You can't run from them, you can't cheat them, you can't sway them with excuses. If you owe them money and you don't want to crumble yourself, you pay it back. Vesting the Tyrells in the crown will help a great deal in this respect. Welcome to the Iron Bank. Please, sit. What can we do for you, Lord Stannis? This is Stannis of the House Baratheon. King of the Andals and the First Men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm. The Iron Throne is currently occupied by Tommen of the House Baratheon, King of the Andals and the First Men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm. He shares no blood with me. He is a bastard, born of incest, as was his brother before him. Yes. We have heard this story. It's not a story. It's the truth. The king's grandfather tells a different story. A story about a jealous uncle whose attempts to usurp the throne from the rightful king cost the seven kingdoms dearly in blood and gold. Gold you loaned him. And you feel your blood gives you a claim on our gold. More than any man living. Across the narrow sea, 
Your books are filled with words like usurper and madman and blood right. Here, our books are filled with numbers. We prefer the stories they tell. More plain. Less open to interpretation. How many fighting men remain loyal to you? Four thousand. And how many ships do you have? The uh, ones still afloat, Sir Davos, not at the bottom of Blackwater Bay. Thirty-two. And how much wheat and barley and beef and pork do you produce on Dragonstone to feed your four thousand men on your thirty-two ships? None. You can see why these numbers seem unlikely to add up to a happy ending, from our perspective. I'm afraid we must respectfully decline your request. But we thank you for paying us the honor of your visit. My lord. I'm not a lord, Sir Davos Seaworth. You would not be either here in Bravos. Thieves are not rewarded with titles. Well, strictly speaking, I didn't do the thieving. That would be the pirates. I just moved what they stole from one place to another. This is the payment that was demanded by King Stannis for my crimes. I consider it an honest accounting. He's an honest man, and he's your best chance to get back the money you've sunk into Westeros. Which is a lot, I imagine. Wars are expensive. The war is over. As long as Stannis lives, the war is not over. Who's the real power in King's Landing? Sir Davos. Uh, humor me. Tywin Lannister. How old is Tywin Lannister? Sixty-seven. Sixty-seven, and when he dies, who's in command? A half-grown boy, the product of incest. Cersei Lannister, a queen whose people despise her. Jaime Lannister, a man best known for killing the king he was sworn to protect. When Tywin's gone, who do you back? That is a problem for another time. Begging your pardon, I think it's a problem for now. There's only one reliable leader left in Westeros. Stannis. He's got the birthright. He's in his prime. He's a tried and tested battle commander, and he doesn't just talk about paying people back, he does it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Moolala. Yeah, yeah. This better have my money. Y'all should know me well enough. This better have my money. Please don't call me on my blood. Pay me what you owe me. Balling bigger than LeBron. Just give me your money. Who y'all think y'all frontin' on? Like blah blah blah. Hello everyone. This is uh, Kevin Ross and your three cocktail uh, questions latest theory. This is a channel where I and others speculate, discuss wild and crazy theories about all things pop culture. If this is your first time with three cocktail questions, welcome. Now, at the recording of this podcast, we are just weeks away from episode eight, um, episode one, season eight of Game of Thrones. Uh, you're going to see a lot of st uh, theories start to come together out there in most of the mainstream shows. And most are going to fall probably under the following uh, headlines. Uh, Jon Snow will become the Night King. Bran will warg into a dragon to help the big battles to come. 
and we as the audience will lose most of our second tier characters as the battle of uh, at the battle of Winterfeld, and Jamie will die at Winterfeld's at Winterfeld's fight, and Arya will wear his face get close to Cersei. Now it's this last one I want to go over today. Arya will wear his face get close to Cer- uh, will wear uh, Jamie's face to get close to Cersei and die because the faceless men and the Iron Bank are one and the same. Let that sink in for a minute. The faceless men and the Iron Bank are one and the same. So let's go into a little history of both these two groups and give credit where credit's due. Uh, sorry, we're going to be seeing that a lot this episode. My bad. Ha ha. Okay, bad dad joke. Okay. Uh, go to Wiki on Ice of Fire and Fandom's The Iron Bank. Okay. So a little history about the Society of Faceless Men. Uh, they were the Society of Faceless Men originated in the volcanic slave mines of Valeria. Prior to the founding of the free city of Bravos and the Doom of Valeria, uh, the tale of beginning centers around the figures of unknown origins who was the first faceless man. They don't know who this person was, just somebody called themselves the first no one. Uh, This man heard the prayers of the slaves to the the various gods and came to a conclusion that all their prayers were answered by to the same god who had many different faces. so he called him the many-faced god, and that he was God's instrument. So this led him to give the first gift of death to the most desperate of slaves. And later, the faceless man discovered another slave uh, praying feverishly for his master's death. He granted that prayer in exchange for that slave's joining him and serving the many-faced god, being essentially the first acolyte to the many to this uh, to the many-faced god. Um, and so. The faceless men went out and brought the gift, as they call it, to all the Valerian masters, and they got away. Okay, uh, Some of the maesters uh, in Westeros believe that the cause of the doom of Valeria were that too many assassinations of the mages who maintain the spells controlling the 14 flames. Now, those are the volcanoes around Valeria. Okay, When the uh, pyromancers were assassinated, this essentially caused the, uh, the volcanoes to go out of control, and kaboom. Okay? Now, a little bit about the Iron Bank. Now, according to Maester, Master, uh, Maester Masters, the Iron Bank was founded by 16 men and 7 women who hid valuables in an abandoned iron mine Hmm. shortly after the founding of Bravos. As the iron banks, as the iron um, chambers were being filled with treasure, suddenly they came to a realization that they should form a bank to utilize the wealth. Okay. Each of the 23 founders had keys, had a key to these uh, great subterranean vaults and their descendants, now numbering at least a thousand, though the number is not confirmed, are known as key holders. Okay. And who probably display ceremonial keys on all formal occasions. Uh, one powerful, bra- uh, other powerful bra- uh, Bravosians also sh- have shares in the bank. They sit on so-called secret consuls, aka like, like our Illuminati you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and have a voice in selecting men who lead it. Okay, so that's just a little bit of history about those. So let's start doing some speculation. Now, the 14 flames erupt and cause the doom of Valeria, killing the dragons and most of the Valerians. Survivors of this catastrophic event, okay, uh, are looking for basic survival needs while looking to discover, and while they're doing that, they discover a lot of hard wealth. And these 23 people are banded together, not just out of survival, not to survive, okay, but to kind of save their culture. And now they're all banding together, okay? But where in the world would you get the idea of starting a lending institution when day-to-day, maybe hourly-to-hourly, you're looking for fresh food and fresh water, okay? 
Excuse me. For this, I turn to another favorite fan favorite we talk about here. That's Star Wars, specifically the destruction of Alderaan. Thanks, Wikipedia or Wikipedia. Uh, Alderaan is a fictional planet uh, featured in Star- the Star Wars franchise. It's got a blue green. It's blue green in appearance. It's uh, de- uh, uh, depicted as a, a terrestrial planet with humanoid inhabitants and characterized by a peaceful culture. Okay, <sighs> it's the home planet of Princess Leia Organa, one of the lead characters in the film series. It's an original 1977 film. Aldron was destroyed by the Death Star. Okay, now the destruction of Aldron is considered some by uh, uh, as an artistic dis- uh, depiction of the dangerous nuclear weapons during the Cold War. Some claim use it as, as a pop culture example of inadequate policies and military action leading to the negative offense. Okay. Um, but Alderaan is mentioned frequently as an example throughout um, fantasy sci-fi. Okay, it's also served as a location in several works in Star Wars expanded universe. Its collection of books, comics, and other materials considered outside official canon. Right now, what's recently called Star Wars Legends. Okay, and during the fall of the Empire, New Alderaan was named after Alderaan for the 60,000 survivors who started rebuilding the beauty of the original planet. It was also said that the planet was colonized just after the formation of the Ratatouille Finite Empire. Sound familiar? See the parallels? I do, because um, Alderaan's always been set up in Star Wars. Uh, and through its collection of books, comics, and other materials, as an unofficial Switzerland. Okay? Um, that's past George. Uh, George is setting this up. Okay? You could, you could see where he's setting up in 1977 that, that Aldron looks like and behaves like Switzerland. Okay? Uh, but now we sort of have that kind of broken up into three different places. Uh, there's a banking uh, planet. There was the diplomat planet. And then there was the administrative planet. Okay, uh, the uh, diplomatic planet Aldron was destroyed, but the other two remained. Right. So, uh, by the way, uh, and what is Switzerland best known for? Well, it's known for expensive watches, very fine chocolate, and of course, banks. Okay. By the way, Switzerland has never suffered a major or minor war because it controls all the finances of most countries worldwide. Switzerland has stayed quiet during these all these times, simply financing everything, uh, collecting a very decent rate of return, getting its due. Okay? Now, uh, uh, you can easily point to um, uh, the free city of Bravos as Game of Thrones Switzerland. Armies have moved, have moved through it, but they've never conquered it. And now you're all saying to yourselves out there, Kevin, this speculative history is fantastic. But what in the world does it have to do with Arya dying trying to kill Cersei? All right, all right, I get it. So let's talk about that. Uh, During Season 7, we see House Lannister not in the best of shape. Okay, the last of Cersei's children has died. Okay, King, uh, King Tommen. And Cersei has taken full revenge on most of her enemies or anyone that would even have a remote claim to the Iron Throne eliminated um. Uh, uh, by blowing them all up with wildfire. All right? Now, as she's taking over, uh, Cersei is, is uh, reviewing the House books, and like Lord Tywin Lannister told her a long time ago, House Lannister is broke. And almost on cue, Tycho uh, Nestralis, who is an envoy from the Iron Bank of Bravos. Uh, now, he was in the fourth and fifth season speaking to Lord Stannis on what will happen if Tywin is gone, and in the seventh season. Uh, just happens to be in King's Landing and want to discuss the new with the newly crowned Queen Cersei how House Lannister will pay what's due. Just happened to show up. 
Okay, didn't know that the sept was going to explode, didn't know all our enemies were going to be gone, but somehow just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Huh. Let's get into that a little bit. Okay, uh, it's at that time that's when Cersei is talking to um, Tycho that she decides that she tells him that in a couple of weeks she, he's going to have all the money paid back and more. Okay, she then sends Jamie to go sack uh, Highgarden and delivers all that hard wealth to Tycho, allowing Cersei to take not only pay back old debt, all the old debt that her dad had raised through Robert's reign, but to collect all sorts of new debt to acquire the Golden Company. Now, all of this we know, all of this we've seen in the show. Let's start speculating some more. How in the world would Tycho know to be at the right place at the right time? Okay, well, let's talk about Cersei's handmaiden, Bernadette. Now, this is my deep apologies to Ken Knapsack, who's currently got a great uh, Game of Thrones uh, show called Casterly Talk. When he was doing Daily Thrones, and it was, it was the same feed, I used to hound this poor man relentlessly. You can't trust Bernadette. There's something wacky about this chick. Every single season, she's changing her appearance. If Cersei got a longer hairstyle and wore a different kind of dress, Bernadette was like this. The, was like the knockoff 99 cent store version of that. Every single season, the creepiest time that Bernadette appeared was when uh, her was when Cersei and Jaime sort of openly decided that they were going to. You know, just go ahead and have a good time. Nobody cared. And that next morning, as Cersei's opening the door, Bernadette's standing there right there, new cropped haircut, okay, with her black hair, new cropped haircut, new style of dress she wants to wear with clean sheets, like she was standing outside the door. Okay, ultimate creep, your ultimate creep factor going off right now. Somebody called the gold, col- uh, the gold cloaks. Let's get this chick out of here. Okay, she's she's creeping me out. But Bernadette was uh, her personal handmaiden and once she told uh and once told uh Cersei about Tyron's girlfriend she uh she and every single season has changed her appearance right she's very single white female okay and if you don't believe me by the way that's a movie about a creepy stalker chick trying to take over somebody's life you can also check out all kinds of memes and images everywhere showing this okay they literally have her from season 1 to season 7 Okay, and if you haven't guessed it by now, I believe Bernadette is a faceless man, but I don't think she is Cersei's faceless man. I believe she was originally assigned to Tywin. Okay, Um, uh, now why would the Iron Bank hire a faceless person for anybody? Their rates are incredibly extravagant. Okay, it says so in, in, in Wikipedia, they rarely take a contract, and when they do, it's for just enough money that the person can afford to pay, right? And it's all based on the priority and difficultness of the target. So they will—they literally know exactly how much to ask from you for a contract that you want. It's almost like they have firsthand knowledge of exactly what you need at that particular time. Almost like they have an inside man in place. Hmm. Let's think about that. Okay. So, uh, why would the uh, the Iron Bank hire someone? What's to protect their initial uh, uh, investments in the first place and to extract a payment if something's going to uh, be a real problem paying back the bank? So let's think about that strategy for a second. If they're two separate entities, the Iron Bank is going to have to call up the faceless guys and say, hey, by the way, we have a problem here. This gives the faceless people an opportunity to say no at any time. Right. There's a council of them that get together. They decide on contracts and, and go from there. But they have never the Iron Bank has never not collected its due. 
from anybody who's ever defaulted. And why would that be? It would be because both they're, they're both sides of the same coin. Okay, what better way to ensure repayment than to eliminate your debtor and then take the face of that debtor and then process payments rapidly back to back as fast as possible without raising suspicion. And if there is still some advantage to keeping the face while there's a while uh, while in place after repayment is done, there's no reason to kill that person until their work is finished through uh, ultimately finished. And the Iron Bank has a stronger position. Okay. You can think about why Bravos has never, ever really been attacked, why Bravos has never really had a problem, because it's financing all the wars. It's financing everything that you need. If you're a merchant, rock and roll, let's finance you a a ship and let's send you on your way. If you're a farmer and your crops go bad, no worries. We'll just go ahead and fund you there through the Iron Bank. But for kings and princes who want to hold and control a throne, you're going to install somebody around there. So... Taiwan is borrowing money for Robert. Littlefinger is doing bad things with it. And you can almost see in the show where Taiwan is reaching out to the Iron Bank to maybe have to deal with Littlefinger. It's one of those what-if stories we'll get into eventually once this whole thing is wrapped up and done, because there'll be, be still more Game of Thrones stuff to talk about, right? But I believe... Bernadette, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, was originally assigned for Taiwan to ensure that there's a there's proper debt flow going back to the bank and to ensure that the Lannisters are protected. There was always someone there to guard their bank, okay, the, the, uh, guard their interests, okay? But what Cersei's done is take out a massive loan. We're talking probably the largest it's had since the founding of the bank and the Valerian, then the, the Doom of Valeria. So let's think about that. When when Valeria blew itself apart, it was essentially like the greatest feudal lord of the world. And all knowledge and all wealth flowed to Valeria. Okay? It's why you can see in two parts, the maesters took knowledge and the faceless people took the money. Okay? And began redistributing that throughout the world. But of course, keeping the best for themselves. So the same thing could happen here. Bravos redistributed the wealth around the world, made sure no one messed with them while the maesters controlled knowledge, right? To make sure this never happened again. Makes perfect sense when you think about it that way. But I also think that now that Cersei has taken out such a massive loan, that Tycho Nestris is also a faceless man. I think there are two in King's Landing, okay? In fact, I think all bankers are faceless people, okay? Uh, and with that much debt being accumulated by the Lannisters, it only makes sense to have backup, but just in, but just in case. Again, you're saying, Kevin, how will Arya die? What does anything have to do with Arya finishing her list? Okay, okay. Let's slow down and let's do some deep dive speculation. At some point, you got to put your chips in on the table and take those guesses. This is what I think is actually going to happen. Uh, we see in the in the in the first initial trailer a a wide shot of Cersei sitting on of, of a woman sitting on the Iron Throne and people in front of her. I believe that's Nyko and uh, the um, Euron and the commander of the Golden Company, uh, and I believe Cersei is there taking possession of um, uh, the Golden Company and Tycho uh, uh, collecting uh, you know transferring payment over to the Golden Company. Right. But I also believe Arya is in the room. Uh, I believe she's there. 
I believe she is wearing Jamie's face. Now, as we discussed the last time, that I believe that Jamie is going to die in a very heroic way, saving Bran, uh, but ultimately failing because uh, Bran's going to die at Winterfell uh, along with Jamie. But uh, but we see that in the, in the latest episode. Go back and listen to that after this one. The uh, but Arya's going to take her face to get close to Cersei. Okay, but she can't quite get close enough because um, the glamour magic that she uses to disguise herself. Uh, with somebody else's face, Tycho and Bernadette would be able to detect as well. I also believe that that's not Cersei on the throne. I believe that's Bernadette on the throne. Okay, I believe that what we see down, what we see is Cersei drinking in that small room downstairs because uh, there's a small feminine hand holding a bow in the in the uh, the chamber. And I believe Arya is going to, with Jamie's face, shoot an arrow at Bernadette, who looks like Cersei. Now you gotta follow this along. I'm gonna go slow. Jamie Arya is going to fire a bow at Bernadette Cersei and kill Bernadette Cersei. It's at that point in time that the glamour magic evaporates, and um and this, of course, happens happens after all the transferring takes place, right? So the commander of the Golden Company and Euron don't see this. She fires. She kills Cersei, is going to investigate the death to make sure it's all actually done. And that's when Jack and Hadar reveals himself from uh, Tycho Nestros. I know it sounds complicated, okay? But Tycho will reveal, himself, will reveal a new face as being Jacqueline Hadar the person who trained her in the first place at the uh, the House of Black and White, and that's when there's a big run through uh, the uh, the Red Keep. But ultimately, I think Jack uh, uh, Jacqueline actually finishes his work and kills his apprentice. See, it never made a lot of sense that assassins that the Assassins Guild, for all intents and purposes, that's what the House of Black and White is, would allow someone just to go rogue. Right? She kills the waif. She basically says, hey, look, I'm, I'm rejecting all your training. I'm going to keep all your magics, but I'm rejecting, uh, rejecting all your training and go off. I think this has all been part of the plan of the House of Black and White to destabilize uh, Westeros some more by, by knowing that, that uh, she's going to go after the phrase and start on her whirlwind run of revenge. Okay? And who better to put into place that if Cersei does, if, if Arya does manage to kill uh, or tried to kill Cersei and fail, well, who better to put into place to ensure the Iron Bank is paid than Bernadette? Because she kind of already looks like Cersei, and with glamour magic, she could be. And then she would have Tycho there to help manage the process, thereby having the Iron Bank running uh, King's Landing and running the world, right? In the worst-case scenario, which is what I'm describing, Arya manages to kill Cersei, uh, but... The duplicate, but Cersei is still downstairs and now is indebted to the Iron Bank for for foreseeing this possible event. But the, how? I mean, it's not really rocket science. They already saw that she was going to do it, but they sort of give they make Cersei to feel good that they've anticipated the problem and they've handled the problem. Now, one of the last Starks and the uh, the line to a reign is over with. This is why the Iron you're in business with the Iron Bank. The Iron Bank doesn't lose here, one way or the other. Okay, does that make a lot of sense? I think it does. It's very spy versus spy, right, in this whole thing. But I think that's how we lose Arya, okay? It's very sad. It's very troubling. And this might get John so pissed off 
that he loses his little baby sister, that he might do what exactly what he did before with the Battle of Bastards and run headlong into King's Landing, setting up Plan B. We're going to start. I'm going to put up, be producing a few more of these throughout the week because we're getting so close to the end of Game of Thrones. I'd like to have all my all my speculation in place before the first episode starts to finalize everything. But I appreciate all of you. This show would not be possible without all of you. Some of the the new things that are happening for the channel and, and others are a direct result of this. Um, I just like to once again give a shout out to Ken Knapsack. Uh, he's written a Star Wars book. Go to Amazon, look up Ken Knapsack, and and uh, take a look at that. Uh, go ahead and buy it. And I I personally recommend buying three copies. By the way, I've said that a few times. That really is how I buy literature. I I buy three copies. I buy one so the author will eventually sign it. I buy one so I can dog ear it and I get the electronic version so I can have it right away. Because uh, a lot of this stuff is uh, pre-order. And so you can get the electronic version the same day it's released. So you can start going through it. And then you'll get the hard copies in a couple of days. And it's a great treat. So uh, go buy three copies of books of Ken's book of Star Wars. Uh, check, just uh, look up Ken Knapsack on uh, Amazon.com. Purchase it there. And um, uh, we'll go from there. That's not a, by the way, that's not a paid advertisement or a sponsorship. It's uh, just a friend shouting out to say thanks very much once again for all the hard work getting me inspired to do this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. We're talking about that the Iron Bank and the Faceless People are one and the same, and that there are two Faceless People in King's Landing. One uh, is um, uh, one of those people is Tycho Nystros, who's the envoy from the Iron Bank talking to Cersei, and the other one is Bernadette, Cersei's uh, handmaiden, who was originally assigned to Tywin for his debt problems. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Everybody be kind to each other out there and have a great day.